Yeah, this has been uh, this has been just a great, great um, couple of days. It's just been fun to be with Tom and Barb again, and to meet all of you, and to team with Scott. What a joy I've been ministered to and encouraged and recalibrated. Uh, so good. So um, just thank you, Tom. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, hey, before I, I do my pace car thing, um, basically, uh, by the way, Scott and I are going to tag team. I'm going to go first. Um, he's going to go second. So you're going to get a, a couple of mini sermons strung together. And uh, I, it's always kind of cool to hear multiple voices. Uh, Tom was mentioning about uh, tag teaming. We're, we're actually doing a lot more of that in our home fellowship as well. And it's really fun. It, it is really fun. So uh, Scott and I are tag teaming. Before I um, uh, set the pace for us this morning, for those of you who weren't here this weekend, just a quick note, two books back there. One devotional is on the character of God, 40 days, talking about some of the stuff maybe that's not always good um, to talk about or a little less desirable to talk about, like when God is silent and what about jealousy and what about anger and all those things that we see in God's character and how do we, how do we see God the lens of love. And then this one, safe in the Father's arms for those who are hurting and uh, going through challenges in life and how God is our Father. So that's back there on the table. Um, uh, at, you know, as, as Scott and I, uh, along with Tom, processed a little bit uh, the last couple of days, we realized that there was an important piece to cover uh, about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit and what he does in us. Um, we talk about the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. We talk about Christ in us, the hope of glory. And uh, Scott and I have had the privilege of covering a lot of ground here the last couple of days, but this was a piece that we felt God nudging us toward. So what I'd like to do is set the table for us uh, um, and look at the kingdom and look at the uh, work of the Holy Spirit and connect those dots together. And, and, and where I wanna start is I wanna start right from Genesis 1, verse two. Uh, both Scott and I have been in Genesis quite a bit and there's a piece there in, in verse 2, and you're aware of the description, where uh, the word says that, um, that darkness covered the deep, that, that the Spirit of God brooded over the chaos. Um, there, there, there's at least one rabbinical school, I found this quite interesting, um, one rabbinical school that, that, that interprets that passage, the place where it says, and the Spirit of God brooded over the chaos, and the way they interpret it is this way. The spirit of Messiah King brooded on the face of the waters. I, you know, we can't know for sure whether that's the way it should be interpreted. I just found it quite fascinating that, uh, that a certain rabbinical school actually took that and, and, and interpreted spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters to read and the spirit of Messiah King brooded over the face of the waters. If that's true, right from the get-go, we see this connection between the kingdom and the spirit. We see, the, we see the connection between the king and the coming of the Holy Spirit. I think that there is a process of the kingdom that has to do with the Holy Spirit. So I see brooding, I, I love this picture of brooding because it's a picture of continuous flow. That's a, that's a tough concept to really get across because we are so used to thinking in increments. We're so used to living in segments like that. But when you think about the imagery of the Holy Spirit, wind, water, fire, every one of those images has a sense of flow to it. When, when does water stop? When does it start? When does fire stop? You know, when does it start? I mean, obviously you can ignite it, but once the flame is burning, there's a continuousness to it. There, there's a continuousness to the wind. Um, and there's a, there, there ought to be a, a, cer a certain kind of continuousness in our um, understanding of the work 
of the Holy Spirit, of relying on the Holy Spirit, of flowing in the Holy Spirit. Those can be nebulous terms, but I actually think they're very practical. And when we understand how we can flow in the Holy Spirit, life gets joyful. All right, so now I want to fast forward to Acts chapter 1. Uh, so you know the, the, the story there, Jesus, last day with his buds, and, and, and he is explaining to them what is about to happen. Uh, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Okay, so let's, let's frame it against the backdrop of their discussion. So the disciples were asking Jesus, okay, when will the kingdom come? When will the kingdom come? And obviously they were coming from their their perspective of the kingdom being restored land, restored sovereignty for Israel, uh, restored um, shalom, uh, all of that meant something to them, but, it, but, but the kingdom coming to them had something to do with physicality. It had something to do with the reestablishment of them as a free people under the reign and rule of God. And that's true. That's a full understanding of the kingdom. So here, here are the disciples asking Jesus, so when's the kingdom going to come? And they're thinking, again, restored Israel, free Israel, the, uh, the, the king reigning over Israel. And Jesus says, well, it's not for you to know the times and seasons, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit's come upon you. No, 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 Jesus. Okay, that's, that's good. I've, I, we've heard you talk about the Holy Spirit. All good with that. No, we're not talking about the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the kingdom. When is the kingdom coming? You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. No, 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 Jesus, please, you're not getting us. We're talking about the kingdom here. We're not talking about the Holy Spirit. Ah. But maybe Jesus is answering the question. When is the kingdom coming? You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I think that Jesus, now you go back to Genesis 1. If that's true, the spirit of Messiah King, there's a connection between kingdom and the Holy Spirit. I think Jesus is getting them and us right back to the core. I think Jesus is, in a way, not, not, not reinterpreting the kingdom, but, but regrounding the kingdom in an understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why you'll find that in the Gospels that the kingdom is talked about over 60 times, 61, 62 uh, uh, times or so. In Paul's letters, the kingdom is talked about eight times. Why? Could it be, and this is just a suggestion, I'm just trying to connect some dots here, but could it be that the kingdom in the Gospels becomes life in the Spirit in the letters? That, that life in the Spirit becomes a core understanding of how we understand the kingdom. Now that opens up an amazing, amazing treasure trove of truth and understanding. I, and, and, and Scott and I can just touch on a few things. I think I know where he's headed with the work of the Holy Spirit here in just a moment. My job is to sort of frame it for us, and I want to frame it against this backdrop of the connection between the kingdom and the Holy Spirit. And, and as we were talking about this last night, I do feel like, like the church in America is spending uh, an inordinate amount of time trying to deal with temporary solves to long-term issues, especially in the political arena. Now, I'm all for being involved in politics and giving, giving our, our voice. I think we need to be careful about how we connect politics to what we perceive to be a kingdom scaffold, right? And, 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 and honestly, steer clear of 
party politics, but not steer clear of politics, if we understand that involvement in the political process is a prophetic ministry from the church. We enter into the political arena as a prophetic word to our culture, and in that sense, there's a lot to be said for our involvement in the process. But if we are trying to solve issues in America through a, just a political means, or frankly, just, just in terms of interaction with our culture, and we don't understand how we as the people of God move in the life of God, move in the power of the Holy Spirit, and be the counterculture in our culture, I don't know that we are going to see the kind of revival and awakening that Dan was praying about. And I think we're kind of setting ourselves up for a little bit of disappointment when we say we're going to see America restored, and what we're thinking about is America restored to a certain picture of a Judeo-Christian America that I don't think we're going to go backwards in time and reconstitute that. What we need to see is the king, is the church aligned to the kingdom so that we can present the alternative blueprint to the culture and people can say, oh, so that's what God had in mind for the planet. Oh, we get it now because we see it modeled in the church. If we don't, if we don't spend at least enough time as a church really tooling out and teasing out this understanding of how we align to and calibrate to the kingdom, if we don't spend at least as much time preparing there as we are involved, for example, in the political process now, then I think we're going to be disappointed. We may be praying for awakening 10 years from now. I believe that part of the awakening that God wants to bring is, is the overflow of a recalibration of the church to an understanding of the kingdom so that we can walk in this counterculture to our world. People can see, behold how they love one another. Behold how they work together. Look at, what, how, look at how they walk together. Look at their way of relating at all spheres, from governance to family to work. Well, I, I, it, it's in that context that I want to I, I, I'm bringing this brief word because I'm concerned, and we were sharing it at Tom and Barb's table last night, concerned that um, we might be a little short-sighted and we need the long-term view of what the church looks like when she, is, when she is aligned to the kingdom. And the work of the Holy Spirit has a lot to do with that. All right, so <coughs> Jesus reinterprets or, or regrounds the kingdom is a better word. Regrounds the kingdom in a in the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, the second part of this, um, how, how do we how do we work that out? How do we work that out? Um, how do we allow the Holy Spirit to uh, have place in our lives and in our ministries? I just going to bring out one one little truth from Philippians 2.8 that I think will at least, again, flesh out this, under, this relationship between kingdom and the Holy Spirit and how it is that the Holy Spirit works in us and flows from within us. Philippians 2. Being found in human form, verse 8, Philippians 2.8, being found in human form, he, Christ, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, verse 9, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, 
work out your salvation. By the way, the word work out there is better translated carry out together. It's a very non-individualistic word. And a lot of times we look at that and we hear God say, work out your salvation as it's to you personally. Uh, Paul very much saw this as, a, this as a corporate thing. Carry out together your own salvation. But nevertheless, it does say work out. So work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, I don't know how many times you've read this. I've certainly read it a lots, lots of times. And there's a part of me that wants to ask Paul to make up his mind. Was it Paul, you're saying, work out your salvation. Oh, oh, yeah, but it's God working in you to will, to motivate, and to do of his good pleasure. Okay, so what is it? Is it, is it me just passively receiving? Holy Spirit, you're going to will and do? Or is it me working out? It seems contradictory at first. But actually, in the setting of Paul's flow of thought, it's not at all. Because after, after uh, this, this hymn, hymn to the work of Jesus Christ, it's concluded, and you know the, the, this passage here in Philippians uh, uh, 2 is one of the first hymns of the church. And he concludes this hymn with verse 9, God's exalted him so that, at ev so that every name would one day confess him as Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's, it's that exaltation of Jesus that makes gives us some understanding and builds the bridge between work out your salvation. Oh, oh, by the way, he is in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. All of us really need motivation because we're not going to do much if we're not motivated to do it. And so when we talk about being motivated to walk as disciples, being motivated to commit to small groups, being motivated to keep our relationships clean, being motivated to connect to our culture, being motivated to be Jesus in our world. You know, we can hear those things and we can, we can move with zest for a while and then uh, just we, we start flagging. We need, we need some other kind of motivation. And so, you know, as a pastor, I will sometimes find myself, gosh, how many how many ways can I reframe the relationship issue? What new angle can I come with on faith? We need to walk in faith, okay? People have heard 50 gazillion messages on faith. Okay, what new angle can I come at so people can get re-energized? And you know what? If the Holy Spirit is in you to do the willing, there is a fountainhead of motivation already in you that never runs dry. Amen. It takes care of the motivation issue if we understand it. So how, how is it, Holy Spirit, that I can give place to you? How is it that I can be uh, an, an, an open uh, person to you so that the, the, the spring, the wellspring of the Holy Spirit can bubble up within and do the willing and the doing? I think we miss out on some of the joy of God doing the willing in us, the motivating in us, in order for us to consistently walk in the truths we know we need to walk in. This is where Paul Paul's thought in verse 9 and 12 of, of focusing us on the exaltation of Christ is so very important. So here's, kinda here's, what, here's, here's the way it goes. All right, here's Paul's flow of thought. In verse 9 to 11, he really wants to focus us on Christ's full authority. This full authority is now made available to you. His full authority made available to you. So uh, aren't, you, aren't you looking forward to that day when everything wraps up, however that looks like, and every tongue's gonna confess, and every knee's gonna bow, Amen. that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father? Amen. Will Jesus have more authority then? Yes. 
Of, no. So what are we waiting for? I mean, it's okay to look at that as a hope in the future, but Christ is not going to have any more authority then than he has now. And who recognizes his authority? Us. So part of Paul's thought here is, look, this, this authority of Christ is available to us. Sometimes, you know, I don't think we understand where the exaltation plays in the whole work of the atonement. We really focus on the cross, as we should. We really get excited about the empty tomb, as we should. Some degree, the ascension. But how often do we really understand that the exaltation of Christ, when he ascended, between that point and Pentecost, the exaltation of Christ is just as important to your salvation as is the empty tomb, as is the actual work of atonement on that cross. Because what happens? Jesus ascends, and then, 10 days later, the Holy Spirit descends. We know that the Holy Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son, or uh, some traditions, the Father through the Son, but at any rate, the coming of the Holy Spirit comes when Jesus is exalted. We think that when Jesus uh, rose from the dead and he ascended, that, oh, okay, well, son, here, you know, sit at my right hand. You know, have a seat. You worked hard. Cross was no easy piece. Cool, have a seat. <clears throat> it wasn't that way at all. When Jesus ascend, ascended, there was a coronation ceremony, if you will. Now, in our time, it took 10 days. So what were the, why was there 10 days between Ascension and Pentecost? I, I kind of think part of it, it was that the coronation in, in, human term, in human time took 10 days. It wasn't just a, okay, my son's back. It's cool. Hey, Jesus, good to see you. We knew, we, you know, we're with you down there. You know, remember when we were kind of jumping up and down in the wilderness, kind of visiting you when you were all spent? Yeah, that was cool. No, Jesus ascends. It was like nothing you've ever seen a regal a regal coronation moment where Christ is exalted Whew. you see why is that important to my salvation because it was Christ's exaltation that if you will set in motion the coming of the Holy Spirit now without going any further because I don't want to take any time from from Scott let me just wrap this up Paul's flow of thought Christ's full authority is available to you, verse 12. So because his full authority is available to you, work out your salvation. And oh, verse 13, by the way, it's actually God in you doing the willing and the doing by his spirit. So how does that work? Okay, very simple. As the pattern was, as Christ was exalted and the Holy Spirit came, so that set in motion the eternal truth, if you will, the eternal pattern. As Christ is exalted the Holy Spirit comes. Or in this case, as Christ is exalted, the Holy Spirit wells up. If we want to be motivated to do small groups, exalt Jesus. And it can be as simple as Jesus is Lord. You know, again, this was, this, this, this was, this was bottom, kind of the bottom rock foundation for the New Testament's understanding of the deity of Jesus. Because what, 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 what is being quoted here, what is being referred to is Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. That's the exaltation. 
the most used Old Testament passage in the New Testament. It was the one, the singular most important passage that convinced the early church that Jesus was not just Messiah, but he was divine. He was deity. He was God himself, God, himself, God of very God. Psalm 110 was the way they got there. And so what you're seeing here is you're seeing real deep, deep foundation being laid out here by Paul. Yes, so as we come back, and even in the moment, you're frustrated today, and just got 10 seconds, Jesus, your Lord, the moment that you are praising Christ, his lordship, it releases the Holy Spirit. Not that you keep him prisoner, but it gives place, which is a better term for it. It gives place to the Holy Spirit to start welling up within you. Motivation, oh, man, 15 seconds ago, I just wanted to bless somebody with a brick. Now, there's just some, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm feeling some peace. It's just joy. What's happening is as you simply, Jesus is Lord, you're going back to the ancient pa pattern. Exaltation, coming of the Spirit. Exaltation, rising of the Spirit. Exaltation, the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. So the, the whole piece here of Paul saying that God is in you to will, to do the motivating, I always love that piece. It's not up to you, it's really up to God. We can be dynamic responders, not passive responders, but dynamic responders. How do we position ourselves? The Holy Spirit can well up within us. Exalt Jesus. Exalt Jesus all the time. Even if it's just a 10 second praise, you are Lord, I invite your, can we say thy kingdom come, thy will be done? What we're saying there is we're inviting, we're inviting his authority into the situation. We're not bringing heaven to earth. Just want to throw that out there just as a, you can chew on that. It's not about bringing heaven to earth. It's about inviting his authority into our situation, into the earth. And we do that as we just simply say Jesus is Lord. And it gives place to the Holy Spirit to do the willing and the doing. So Lord, I just thank you for uh, just how you're tag teaming us here and just how you're bringing deposits in to your, your people. I pray, Lord, that we'd be encouraged in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Scott, come on up. We've been, um, in, in a way, tag-teaming the last couple of days, Dias session, him a session, and this has just been a real delight. I've been delighted to be teamed with this man and to know him for the first time. And Tom, thank you for putting us together. It's awesome. Yeah. Bless you, Scott. I'm good then. All right. If I need to do anything, just let me know. But you can hear me while I get started. About Guys, as listeners, it's a lot of work. For those of you who've been here for the several days, it's more work than you realize to listen, isn't it? I was saying to someone in the bathroom, it's, it's funny when you sit in conferences all day, you go home exhausted sometimes. You're like, oh, I did a sit, but I'm exhausted. So uh, appreciate that and all the work with the worship teams and different people at worship. It was great. And um, again, really great intro this morning, Steve. I mean, just that foundation you laid. I mean, those are big things he's saying right there that are kind of whole worldview shaping things. Um, that we need to walk in, and, and it's just, it's great stuff. I'm going to try in my session to just um, talk particularly about the one aspect of, okay, if the kingdom of God's in the Holy Spirit, like he said, and the coming of the Holy Spirit, yeah, yeah, I, I might have not done something I should have. Um, if the kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit, like he's saying, in the Holy Spirit coming in power, how do we uh, cooperate with that flow? Um, how do we uh, 
as he did. I love the illustrations about the Holy Spirit being more flow, more continuous, uh, those kinds of things. And so what I want to do is help us to understand a little bit about how we can be people that are open to the Holy Spirit flowing through and how to flow. But you don't know how it operates. Uh, an electrician knows how to get that flow of electricity to the right places for the lights to turn on, for the TV to work, for all of those kinds of things. So I want to talk some about how the Holy Spirit tends to move in different ways so that we can and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. But before I do that, let me just read a couple scriptures to you just to put back in our heads this commission to bring the kingdom of God. Just one aspect of it. It's bigger than what I'm going to talk about. Uh, but one aspect of it is seen in the power of God. And it says this in Matthew chapter 10. Uh, I'm going to begin reading in verses 1. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. You can just read. This is the ESV, and it says this. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of, his, of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You should receive without paying, give without pay. That's a pretty big assignment, isn't it? If you think about that, I mean, again, sometimes we passively read these, but if we're the 12 disciples sitting there and Jesus says, okay, I've given you all authority over, this, over uh, unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and affliction. Okay, that's, again, that's a big statement that's made. You're sitting here thinking, I need to process that. Okay, the kingdom has come in power. Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come. I understand that healing authority I have, but that's still a little bit theoretical. But then as he goes on and he says, okay, so here's practically what I want you to do. Go in there and I want you to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, I can do this. And then he gives in command form. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. <laughs> I don't know about you, but right there I'm like, um, sorry, excuse me. How am I supposed to do that? Um, but he doesn't really give explanation. He just expects that there would be a power of God as we, again, live out the kingdom of God that would just flow through our lives. So again, it's, it's sobering, isn't it? That what should accompany in Jesus' commission, the proclamation that the kingdom has come, one of the things, not the only thing, but one of the things is power flowing through our lives into situations, right? Let's read in Luke chapter 10 for a second as he's commissioning the 72. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter first, say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. And here goes the instruction again. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And he goes on to instruct other things. But notice the tandem again. 
in your proclamation of the kingdom of God, there should also be a demonstration of the power of God at the same time. Both commissions so far that Jesus gives to his disciples have the same tandem to him. Proclaim the kingdom of his comes, demonstrate the power of God. Again, in Mark 16, we have a commission given to the disciples, which we understand also to apply to us, in which it says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. So again, proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom, of this message that Jesus brought and accomplished. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands, their hands on the sick and they will recover. Again, huge, isn't it? I want you to go out and proclaim this message. But in the proclamation of the message, there should also be a demonstration of power. That both of these things should always be going together. We shouldn't be seeking power without being rooted back into the message. It's not about the power. It's about the kingdom, as we've already heard this morning. This is what the power points to. But equally, it's not a powerless kingdom, but it's one because Jesus has all authority that is demonstrated even as we proclaim it. And in order for that to happen, as we've just heard about at Christ's exaltation, he sent his Holy Spirit to empower us and enable us to live out that commission, to help us do this. Jesus knew we couldn't do this on our own. His, the Spirit of God needs to do it through us. Like he said, we don't bring it, but the Spirit of God himself does it through us. Uh, and so within these commissions, we see the kind of the same elements that there's going to be an empowering of the Holy Spirit that's going to enable us to demonstrate the kingdom of God, second of all, in healing, deliverance, preaching, and authority over the power of the enemy. And then we are supposed to declare after that demonstration that the kingdom of God is here. And so we have this three-part process, the Holy Spirit coming, demonstrating, declaring. All of these things coming together. You see it in Acts chapter 2 right away. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. He comes. There's a demonstration of them speaking in tongues, people hearing them in every language. Peter declares the kingdom of God. And all of these things are supposed to be together. So as Christians, what this means is we need to know how exactly the Holy Spirit works in power so that we can cooperate with him. Um, I just want to talk practically here in the next, you know, 10, 15 minutes about a couple ways the Holy Spirit moves and flows through the church and, and kind of anoints us in our life in order for us to be able to move in both. And the reason I want to do this is because I find, at least in my experience, sometimes the church divides into two camps. And you have those that kind of um, pursue the outpouring of the Spirit in huge ways and try to make that the norm of everyday life. And then you have another camp that kind of ignores that and tries to just live by faith in uh, obeying the Bible and believing the truth and let that be the driving force of their life. And I believe both of these are activities of the Spirit that are supposed to work together, but we kind of separate them oftentimes and, and we get frustrated. And I think it keeps us from actually moving in the power of God to the degree that we could and should. And so let me just lay these out there for you. Um, I'll just kind of refer to scriptures again for the sake of time. But the first one is this, that the Bible teaches this amazing thing happened, as Steve said, when Christ was exalted. For the first time in history, the Holy Spirit is coming to be poured out on all flesh. There were in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on certain people at certain times in certain places. 
uh, it wasn't poured out on everybody. And there was even this longing in the Old Testament. Moses said uh, at one point in time when a certain group were able to prophesy, he says, oh, I wish that all of God's people could be prophets and prophesy. And Joel prophesied about it, didn't he? That there'll be a day in the last days when I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, God said. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, not just those who are near, but this is a promise for those who are far away. Everyone will have the Holy Spirit on them. And so the Bible teaches that there is an anointing of the Holy Spirit that comes with on it, upon us and it remains. This is what it says in 1 John, that we can recognize truth. We don't always need someone to teach us, which is ironic because he's teaching us that we don't need someone to teach us. Um, but nonetheless, he's saying we don't need someone to teach us because the holy, that anointing that's on the inside of you, it remains. It's always there. And so there is this presence of the Holy Spirit that comes when we're born again and filled with the Spirit that just remains in our life and that operates at all times. And this presence of the Holy Spirit is one of the ways the Holy Spirit will move in power through us. And this presence is there always. And this presence, so to speak, when it comes to power is tied very much to faith in God's Word as we proclaim the message of God. And what I mean by that is that it's an, it's an anointing and a faith that we can exercise at any time in our life in any situation that we're in. If we're coming up to a situation where we're trying to share the gospel, the message of the kingdom to someone, someone's sick there, we can say, hey, there's a promise in the Bible that says if we lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. Um, I have faith for that. I just want to pray for you right now. And according to our faith for that, the person, may, the person gets healed in those situations. The power of God flows through us and we can do that at any time. It's something that's accessed again by our faith in the word of God um, because the Holy Spirit is always there. It's like the woman with the issue of blood that she just knew if I touched him, I would be healed. There was no special outpouring happening. Jesus wasn't even healing people. She just had faith in the word of God. She touched him. She was healed. Jesus turned, obviously said, who touched me? I know because power, this power that's resident in me at all times went out. And he turned and it was accessed by faith. And he said, woman, your faith has made you whole, okay? Just in that moment, there wasn't a special prophetic word, a word of knowledge, nothing. It was just there at all times. There's the passage in Luke chapter 14 where Jesus prays for these lepers. They don't immediately get healed, um, but they actually trust that they were healed. Jesus says, listen, go show yourselves to the priest. You're healed. Now, they weren't healed. It said that they were, they were still the same, but they believed him, they trusted him, and as they went, it says they were healed. So again, in response, by faith, as they went, they were healed. This normal operation that's there by an anointing that's resonant within us because we trust in the word of God. There's the centurion and his servant. And the centurion who came to Jesus and said, hey, my servant needs to be healed. And Jesus says, I'll come pray for him. No, you don't need to come. You just speak the word. And I believe by faith, because of the authority you have, that he'll be healed. So again, Jesus says, I've seen no greater faith in Israel. There's this power, this anointing that's released by faith, trusting in the word of God. Acts chapter 14, it says that Paul is preaching the gospel. And as he's preaching the gospel, he sees a man sitting there and sees that he has faith to be healed. And so then he takes him by the hand and declares healing over his life, and the person is healed. Again, Paul saw that he had faith. It wasn't a special outpouring, which we'll get to in a second. It was just as he's preaching the gospel, proclaiming he saw faith, and when he saw faith, the healing took place. 
And so we can go passage after passage. James 5 says, hey, if any of you are sick, let him call on the elders of the church and let them again come and anoint him with oil and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. A resident promise and these promises are always there. Now, I know this raises lots of questions as to why some people do and don't get healed, but that's another sermon for another time. For now, just recognize there is this category, if I can say it, of the power of the Holy Spirit that as we go out proclaiming the kingdom of God that is always resident within us, that is a constant flow within us that we can see flow out from us into other people and that the main mechanism that causes that to flow out is faith and faith in things that God has said. That as we're preaching, faith is built and then this anointing that remains can be, for lack of a better phrase, released into situations. And in fact, this can be interrupted when there isn't faith. There's the amazing passage in Mark 6, which we all know well, when Jesus went to his hometown. And when he went to his hometown, it said he could do no great miracles there, except for heal a few sick folk, which is pretty good. But <laughs> no great miracles there because of their unbelief. Because they thought this is just Jesus. So their unbelief interrupted if I can say it this way, if I can stretch the illustration, that like the electricity being interrupted, it interrupted the flow of the Holy Spirit towards them. That their lack of faith held it, held it back. And so this is one way that we can move and live. And I want every Christian in here to know this is always resident within you if you are born again and filled with the Spirit. That you don't need another special outpouring to live and walk in this kind of power and authority that God's given you. What you do need to do is build yourself up on your most holy faith and nourish the faith of God within you to start to see these things happen more and to step out as you have faith in these things to see God do more things. And that's something that's always there for the church. Now, there's another way the Holy Spirit moves though, and this is the distinction that I think is important. There are moments he, God pours his Holy Spirit out in unique ways in order to do something that isn't the normal operation by faith, but it's something that God just does by his sovereign action. And this is, again, a distinction from the other one. This is a unique and special outpouring of God. Again, if you kind of sum this up in scripture, it comes to do three different things. One of which is, sometimes this unique pouring is something that comes on someone for a particular task. God comes and says, okay, I want Steve to be a teacher and I'm going to anoint him to be a teacher. Now there is a sense in which there's a resident anointing in all of us and we can all teach each other, right? But there are some of us that are uniquely anointed to teach and it's a different kind of measure and he didn't earn it by a degree and he didn't study for it. He didn't just say, I'm going to have faith to be a teacher so I am one. God just did it. Do you follow that? He makes him to be it. It's something God does by his own sovereign choice. It's tough for us because it's not something God does for everybody. This isn't something everybody can ask for. In a resident anointing, you can take any promise of God and everyone can ask for it. But God never promised to make everybody teachers. It's something he uniquely does with one individual, makes him a teacher, and then it's a different kind of power that flows. So first of all, he does this to anoint people for tests. Second of all, he does this at times in particular places and seasons. Pours it out in a particular place or for a particular season. We tend to call these revivals in our language. Just at a moment in time, God in his sovereignty decides to do something. Now we try to study those and say, okay, well, they were praying and they were doing this. And I believe those things probably matter, but there are lots of places that pray as well and nothing happens. The God just sovereignly says, I'm going to do something special right here. 
And when you read those stories, they say it's almost like someone flipped a switch. Just one night, bam. There was just this presence of God. Everything changed. It goes for a season, then it all of a sudden seems to stop. That God just does this because there's something unique he wants to do. Sometimes there are times of refreshing, the Bible says. Repent and turn to God, that times of refreshing. Sometimes he's just refreshing his church. Sometimes he's causing an influx of people to be born again. There are just different things he's doing. And these tend to be longer periods of time. Then the third way he comes in a special outpouring is just in a moment. It's maybe not a long season, but God just does a supernatural miracle in a moment. Okay, just right now comes someone is just set free. Again, not according to kind of a normal operation, but something that's just in a moment, even at times when there's no faith present. And in all of these things, it's always God's sovereign choice. It's always some kind of extraordinary or extraordinary miracle. And it's something that's not promised at all times. You felt it's not promised to everyone at all times, but it's only something that God does at certain times. Now, let me, again, I'm, I'm going to try to get this done. Let me give you just a few minutes here to try to say how this matters in our daily life. Just some examples of the outpouring type of miracles, and I'm going to tie this into the daily faith, is in Acts chapter 2, as they're waiting on the Holy Spirit to come. It says the Holy Spirit is poured out, and what happens to them? What happens above their heads? Tongues of fire come, and they begin speaking in tongues. Now, that's pretty extraordinary, isn't it? And it's interesting, when the church gathers in Acts chapter 4, and they start praying, they start praying for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because that's the promise of God that's always available to all of us. You know what they don't pray for? Tongues of fire. <laughs> they don't start saying, okay, but I don't know what we wouldn't do in the church. We had tongues of fire. You know what we need to do? We need to have tongues of fire prayer meetings. Because we start to pursue the extraordinary, ignoring the actual promise. God just chose to do something amazing. The next time they pray, what happens is they pray, God, please fill it with your spirit, and the whole building shakes. Now, after that one, I'm writing a book called How to Have a Building Shaking Prayer Meeting. And I'm going around the country. I'm, this is what happens in the church. Do you see what I'm saying? But God didn't promise to shake buildings, but he did promise to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And so we don't get, we don't get unappreciative of the building shaking. Thank you, God, you did this. But the next time we go to pray, do you know what they prayed for? God, just fill us with your spirit. And again, if nothing, no building shook and no tongues came, that's okay because by faith, we can still walk in the power of God. And this is a distinction we don't get and we start to become chasers of experience instead of people who walk in the power of God with our ear open and our spirits open to God doing something extraordinary. It says that Paul in Acts chapter 13, he, there's a magician who is kind of um, taunting him and he turns to the magician and he says, you know, you always corrupt the, the, the truths of God. God's going to strike you blind for a season. That's a pretty extraordinary miracle, isn't it? The guy lost his sight. Again, that doesn't become our promise that anybody who's an enemy of God, we can walk around and say, you're going to be blind for a season. It's not what we can do, but we recognize that God does those things. You follow this? There's another occasion where the Bible says Paul was doing extraordinary miracles. That's the phrase, not just miracles, but extraordinary, even to the point that people were getting healed by his handkerchief. I realize this may step on some toes. Paul didn't start sending out handkerchiefs after that. It's not what he did because there's nowhere in the Bible where that promise is made. But he did go on to keep laying hands on the sick because that promise. Am I saying the handkerchiefs aren't important? No, this matters too. This is another way the Holy Spirit moves, but it's not the 
constant moving of the Holy Spirit that can always flow through our lives. It was an abnormal action of God. So let me, just to put this together, um, there's again one more and then I'll tie this all up. There's one in Acts chapter, um, when is this one? This is in Acts 16 to 17. There's the occasion when Paul preaches the gospel in Philippi, gets thrown in prison. They start to worship God, Paul and Silas. God shakes the prison, breaks their chains. They walk out free. Philippian jailer gets born again. A church starts. It goes on into chapter 17 when Paul goes to the next town. And it's really interesting because when it comes to the next town, it says Paul goes into the synagogues to preach the gospel to Jews as was his custom. I find that strange because if I had just come out of an experience in which I was in prison and the whole thing was shaken and I was set free, I'm pretty sure I'm leading with that in the next town. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, you want to know what? This just happened to me and I'm here to preach to you how to have prison shaking environment. But it's not what he did. Instead, he preached his normal custom. They came against him, and do you know what he did this time? He snuck out in the middle of the night. Where did his faith go? Why doesn't he? Because he actually understood God did something miraculous. He didn't deny it's recorded in Scripture for our encouragement, but again, he didn't turn it into how to worship in order to break prisons free because he realized that was an extraordinary outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So pulling this together in our lives, this is, this is the reason it's important. In our normal ministry to people, as we want to bring the kingdom in power, we'll have someone come. Let me just give an example. Let's say someone comes who struggles with, um, he's an alcoholic, and he needs to be set free. You pray for this person, and let's say as you're praying for them, you're saying, hey, the kingdom of God is here. God can set you free from this. Uh, and he says, I want that. They talk to him about the gospel. You tell him that Jesus is Lord. He says he wants to have Jesus as Lord. Let's say you pray for him. He gets born again. You say, let's pray for this alcoholism. So you start to pray for him. And as you start to pray for him, he just starts to shake. Something, the, the power of God comes on him. Maybe he even falls down. Something happens. God completely fills him. He's shocked by this whole thing. He doesn't know what to do. Um, in fact, we had, we had an unsaved guy um, in, in the church in Cadillac when I was there. Which we went and prayed for him and laid hands on him. The power of God came on him this way. He fell down and in the middle of the meeting. He's like, what the F just happened to me? Because <laughs> he wasn't born again. And we're like, you can't say that. Um, and uh, so he comes on in this way. The guy gets up and he's set free from alcoholism. In the moment of time, never has another desire to drink. Never even tempted to drink. Isn't that fantastic? But here's the danger that happens. The next person comes up, strung with alcoholism, and I start to pray for him. And what do I subtly start to do? I start to look for shaking, and there's not any shaking happening, so I need to pray harder. Something's not going right here. And I pray for him, and nothing happens, and he feels nothing, and he starts to doubt whether he's actually set free. And he's calling the next day and saying, I really want to drink. I heard this guy, and he never wanted to drink again. What's wrong with me? Because we don't recognize, well, hold on a second. No, God did set you free. Because the ordinary anointing of God, which is such a weird thing to say, resides within you. We prayed for you. God came with you. And you just right now, there is the spirit of God within you, which is lusting or desiring against the spirit of the flesh. So there's also something in you right now that doesn't want to drink, isn't there? And he's like, well, yeah, I mean, there is something. So here's what we need to do. We need to build on that. We need to start to build your faith and the promise of God that you can resist this temptation because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And even though you face this struggle every single day of your life, you can win this struggle every single day of your life because the resident power of God that's there all the time can keep you free and you can live completely free your entire life. And that itself is a different kind of miracle. But we don't 
wreck, we don't build that because we start to chase this over here. This is what charismatics tend to do. And so what ends up happening is the charismatic circles are always chasing this and people aren't growing up in their faith. People aren't learning to live in the ordinary, again, I hate that phrase, but ordinary anointing of God. I remember I was uh, reading Kenneth Hagin and he was talking about the healing revivals in the 50s and he was saying it was so easy to get people healed. You didn't even have to have faith. God was doing something extraordinary. He said, but the minute that revival stopped, it was interesting because many of those healing evangelists did not know how to, get to, how to minister in faith to people for healing. And so their ministries just died because they never grew up in faith. You follow that? And so what I'm saying by this is we need to walk in the power of God. What does that mean? That we need to sit and wait for some outpouring? No, we need to start to build ourselves up in our faith to trust the promises of God, to start to minister to people out of the anointing that always resides in us. And as we do that, we constantly keep our ear open to God doing something sovereign, supernatural, and unusual. That he speaks to us, or as something supernatural starts coming, we don't put God in a box and say, oh no, God can't do these things. He might do something really strange. And when he does something really strange, we rejoice in that and we thank him for it. And then the very next time, we move forward in the ordinary power of God that's always in our life. And I believe as we do this both and, we'll see more of the power of God flowing through our lives in the church instead of just waiting for this extraordinary while doing nothing or being the type of church that's living in the ordinary but always ignoring the possibility of the extraordinary breaking in in which God may want to do something unusual with us. You follow that? But if we live in the ordinary power of God, I think we'll see both. Amen? All right, so if the worship team could come back up. I just want to pray for us, and then I'll hand it over to them. Jesus, we just want to say thank you for achieving such a great salvation for us and giving it to us as a gift. We're so thankful for what you did on behalf of all of us, the way that you've rescued us from our sins and the way that you've set our lives free and that you didn't just then leave us, but as we heard about earlier, you fill us with your spirit to make us willing to follow your will, to will and to do according to your good pleasure. God, we're just so thankful that you give us power to live in the good of everything that you've won for us. And God, we say we want to be a people that cooperate with you, that are an easy people to, that you can flow through in the power of God, both in our own actions and in our ministry to other people. So Father, I, I say right now on behalf of all of us, God, we just surrender ourselves to you and we say, have your way in our lives. We'll be a people that have faith in your promises to do, move and do the things that you've called us to do. And we also ask you, God, to pour out your spirit in extraordinary ways. We'll be faithful in the small. We'll be faithful in the commands. And we say, as we do that, please do extraordinary things as well in our midst. I pray that you would fill us again with your spirit. Even now, right now, as I'm praying, I pray you pour out your Holy Spirit on everyone in this room and fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, God. That we can be people that see the kingdom of God worked out through our lives, God. We commit ourselves to your glory, God and to your kingdom being exalted through us. In Jesus' name, God.